I'm presenting here a series of audio clips of the late Mac Tonys. He spoke on a lot of podcasts uh, near the end there in his short life, and uh, the clips here are from two different shows. One is from a 2007 uh, appearance on the uh, online radio series Banal of America with Tim Banal, and the other is from a 2009 appearance with George Norrie from Coast to Coast. Uh, this clip will be introduced by Whitley Strieber. These were originally broadcast altogether on Whitley Strieber's online radio series, Dreamland. I was his guest, and I spoke for an hour and a half about my friendship with the late Mac Tonys. That interview will also be linked here. So when I turn this over, you will hear the voice of Whitley Strieber introducing these clips. I apologize, there was no introduction for Banal of America, and he does only briefly mention Coast to Coast with George Norrie. Both of these shows are quite good. Thank you. We're very pleased to present these clips of Mac Tani's comments on various radio programs, including our own dear friend, Coast to Coast AM, over the years. Mac passed away last year at the age of 34, quite unexpectedly, of an undiagnosed heart ailment. Uh, he was one of the most interesting people in the younger set of investigators of UFOs and whatever he might have called himself. And I would like to memorialize his work on this website and place this in our subscriber section for your listening pleasure and for your interest, and also so that what Mac did in this world will be with us from now on, because unknowncountry.com isn't going anywhere soon, and this enormous archive that we are building in our subscriber section is just the place to deposit this record of a wonderfully interesting man and the work he was doing before he was so untimely called away. You can find out more about Mac's work at his website, mactonnies.com, M-A-C-T-O-N-N-I-E-S dot com, and do read his blogs. They were most interesting. And now, to speak for himself, here's Mac Tonnies. If they're sharing the planet with us, then they probably have at least some interest in how we're, in how we're uh, faring as a yeah. species, because we could be kind of a canary for them, you know? If we go, they go. That would explain why so many UFOs are seen hovering over military installations and nuclear power plants. Mm -hmm. uh, they might have a stake in all this. And uh, and that offers an explanation that the ETH really doesn't. You can always argue, well, like, you know, visiting aliens from some other star could, uh, they're going to be interested in our ability to uh, end life on this planet because we're interesting research specimens and they don't want to see their experiment perish. Uh, and that's, you know, there's an argument to be made there, but I don't think that's the final argument. Now, does the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis, does it leave the door open for the ETH? Or? Yeah. I, I, some people, again, it's this very binary uh, outlook, but yeah. I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive, and I've, I've tried to make that clear, and, you know, some people get it and some don't. Um, no, we, we could be being visited by aliens and, and still have these, these beings on Earth. You know, this is, this, is a, this is a thought experiment, you know, and I yeah. justify it because it's, because it's testable, just like the, the face on Mars is testable. Um, and how we test it is a little more indirect and a little bit more of a more of a slippery proposition than than Martian artifacts. I'll give you that. But uh, nevertheless, I think it's a valid hypothesis, and that's why I I don't use the word hypothesis 
because it sounds lofty and scientific. <laughs> I use it because hopefully it'll remind people that it's not saying that this is the way it is. It is just that. It is it is a possibility, and hopefully a scientifically testable possibility. And uh, it's going to be hard to test because if I'm right, then these people don't want to be discovered. Yeah, well, how do you suggest going about testing for the, the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis? There are, some, there are various ways. Part of it is uh, looking for, in the fossil record or looking at our own DNA one, or, or taking a much more robust uh, uh, interest in forensic aspects of alien abductions uh, and looking for genetic material. Yeah, because uh, again, with with this, I don't think that we're dealing with beings that are that are godlike, in the sense that extra extrasolar aliens are purported to be godlike and and uh, incapable of error. In fact, if we were if we were dealing with with aliens in the in the in the usual sense of the word, I think that they would be able to do pretty much whatever they wanted to do, and we wouldn't know it. Yeah, uh, we wouldn't even recognize the fact that they were here. Instead, we're seeing something that seems remarkably humanoid and. Uh, remarkably uh, amenable to, to human psychology. The fact that these things are, are, are humanoid and, and that we can converse with them, albeit telepathically sometimes, and uh, recognize such things as facial expressions and even even associate with their technology and, and seem to know where they're coming from on an on a, on a interpersonal level mm -hmm. uh, is exceedingly unlikely in the case in the event of extrasolar visitation. Uh, it seems to me that we're dealing with a kind of human, an unrecognized aspect of uh, the human species. In this case, an offshoot. You know, I don't know where they originated specifically, but they seem to be uh, extremely stealthy and extremely clever and uh, extremely desperate in, in a very interesting, in a very interesting way. What's the premise of After the Martian Apocalypse? After the Martian Apocalypse is a speculative look at Martian enigmas um, and the case for taking a serious look at them. Uh, I don't pretend to know that they are artificial or, or aren't, but I think several of these formations we're looking at on the Martian surface that have been reimaged by the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter look for all the world like potential archaeological sites. And I think if we saw a lot of these places on Earth, there would be no question. We would send geologists and archaeologists to check these out. But since they're on Mars, they're, they're um, excluded from, from consciousness. They're just shoved aside and, and labeled as geological formations. And there's little, there's little true scientific follow-up. And I think that's a catastrophe. I think that we're dealing with something potentially quite revolutionary. And I'd like to see some furthered interest in this from the academic community, the anthropological community, even the artistic community, I think, has something to bring something to bear on this. And the implications are, of course, extremely unsettling. And as far if we're dealing with a non-human intelligence, and I think that's, I think that's the most compelling residue we're left with, um, then I'm not sure what we're dealing with. However, uh, the extraterrestrial hypothesis uh, has enjoyed uh, quite a bit of popularity since the uh, modern inception of the UFO phenomenon in the, in the late 40s, early 50s. And we've kind of stuck with that. And uh, I guess my complaint would be that we've, that we've um, kind of reveled in the extraterrestrial hypothesis as, as the best explanation for the truly unidentified saucer sightings. And I think that's not necessarily the best case. I think as the decades have, have, have gone on, the universe has become a stranger, stranger place 
uh, much more pregnant with possibility. Uh, for example, uh, just as just one example, um, the science of parallel worlds, uh, whereas just a, a couple decades ago, it really wasn't. But now it's talked about routinely. Instead of talking about a universe, we now talk about a multiverse. So in the same, in the same kind of vein, I, I, I have to wonder if the extraterrestrial hypothesis is necessarily the best hypothesis for what we're seeing. It could very well be part of, of the mystery. We, we, we could be dealing with myriad overlapping phenomena that we attribute to the same source because it's so strange and our minds really don't know how to, how to place this in a category because we're dealing with something that seems to defy easy categorization. We don't, have, we don't even have a terminology for a lot of this stuff that we're dealing with. So we try very desperately to peg it into little convenient uh, uh, pigeonholes. But uh, I like the idea that we could be dealing with a, with, a, with an intelligence that's indigenous to our own planet. Um, and mm. I've called this intelligence crypto-terrestrial, uh, simply for lack of a better term. And that term wasn't actually coined by me. It was coined by someone commenting on my, on my blog uh, about three years ago, I think. But uh, it, it's one of those theories that sounds very shady and, and strange, and it kind of harkens back to the, the ideas of, of Richard Shaver and the hollow earth, like you mentioned. And um, obviously this is an established fact, but I think it's an option that warrants some sort of investigation. Could we be sharing the planet with um, an intelligent non-human species that we don't know about? And could UFOs be a manifestation of this species? And um, in the and end, could, I, and I, they could have been here a long time, Mac. Exactly, they could have been here as long as long as us, or perhaps quite longer. And there are different ways of approaching this. One way of approaching it is that, oh, okay, that you know these people in history, they were seeing aliens and and seeing them in the in their own mythological context. They were seeing them in light of what they could handle. Uh, the other, the other avenue that was explored by by Jacques Vallée in his book uh, *Messengers of Excuse Me, uh, Passport to Magonia*, right. was that uh, we're dealing with a phenomenon that's none of the above. Uh, it's an alien stimulus, and we don't know where exactly it's coming from. And each culture is seeing something that, to them, is perfectly valid. And to us, we're seeing it, and it takes the form of space travelers, because that makes sense to us. It would be absurd for us to see little magical beings, because that doesn't, uh, that doesn't jive with uh, Western, Western science, Western materialism. It's an outdated paradigm. So just because the aliens appear to be space travelers, at least in, in many respects, doesn't necessarily mean that they are. We could be dealing with something even stranger. And that's, that's a, a problem that I've attempted to address with this uh, crypto-terrestrial hypothesis. You know, could we be dealing with the species that evolved here on Earth um, that has deliberately insinuated itself into our myth mythologies, into our folklore, uh, in an attempt to disguise itself, but at the same time, perhaps exert some form of control over our social systems. Again, this is kind of uh, Jacques Vallée's uh, idea of a psychosocial thermostat or control system. And that it's kind of an ominous notion. It's not necessarily something you'd like to think about, that you know, human existence is some sort of uh, um, kept on a dial, and there's someone turning the dial, mm -hmm. keeping everything in accordance with some ideal of which we know nothing. Um, but maybe that's, maybe that's a a good thing. Maybe that's benign. Maybe maybe this this phenomenon and, and all this other strange phenomena that preceded it uh, constitute something uh, an evolutionary process at work. 
um, Whitley Strieber had remarked once, and I thought it was a, a very astute observation. He said, uh, maybe the UFO phenomenon is, is nothing more than what evolution looks like to the conscious mind. And uh, that's kind of a cryptic statement, kind of causes you to kind of scratch your head and think about it for a second. But, um, you know, I think that's as good an explanation for the UFO phenomenon and as, as any I've heard, quite, quite honestly. And uh, it could be entirely wrong. But uh, I don't think that anyone has the answers, and that's one part of the UFO debate, such as it is, that I'm really dissatisfied with. I, th I think the, uh, the UFO debate has become uh, excessively polarized in favor of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. And uh, in the years since that has become um, the veritable gospel of, of, this, of this strange phenomenon, this strange going on. Is that, is. is that because it's easier to comprehend? I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I think it's easier to comprehend. It's kind of a knee-jerk reaction. It makes sense. There's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, we could be dealing with disparate phenomena that happen to you look the same to us. Um, I don't think we have any conclusive proof of that. And when people discuss the UFO controversy, it's almost always in terms of extraterrestrials. But the UFO phenomenon, as we as we popularly um, see it and talk about it and see it in, on films and et cetera, um, doesn't conform to what I personally would expect um, an alien civilization from another star system um, to look like. Uh, the behavior is very conspicuous. It seems to draw deliberately draw attention to itself at the same time that it denies its own existence. So. Just because the aliens appear to be space travelers, at least in, in many respects, doesn't necessarily mean that they are. We could be dealing with something even stranger. And that's that's a, a problem that I've attempted to address with this uh, crypto-terrestrial hypothesis. You know, could it be dealing with the species that evolves here on Earth um, that has deliberately insinuated itself into our myth mythologies, into our folklore, uh, in an attempt to disguise itself, but at the same time, perhaps exert some form of control over our social systems. Again, this is kind of uh, Jacques Vallée's uh, idea of a psychosocial thermostat or control system, and that it's kind of an ominous notion. It's not necessarily something you'd like to think about, that you know, human existence is some sort of uh, um, kept on a dial, and there's someone turning the dial, mm -hmm. keeping everything in accordance with some ideal of which we know nothing. Um, but maybe that's, maybe that's a a good thing. Maybe that's benign. Maybe maybe this this phenomenon and, and all this other strange phenomena that preceded it constitute something uh, an evolutionary process at work. Um, Whitley Strieber has remarked once, and I thought it was a, a very astute observation. He said, uh, "Maybe the UFO phenomenon is is nothing more than what evolution looks like to the conscious mind," and it's uh, kind of a cryptic statement, kind of causes you to kind of scratch your head and think about it for a second. But, um, you know, I think that's as good an explanation for the UFO phenomenon and as, as, as any I've heard, quite quite honestly. And uh, it could be entirely wrong, but uh, I don't think that anyone has the answers. And that's one part of the UFO debate, such as it is, that I'm really dissatisfied with. This is Mike chiming in. At the end here, very sad and bittersweet hearing Mac's voice in these audio clips. Um, I need to point out that uh, Whitley pronounced Mac's name incorrectly. 
his name is pronounced Mactonis, not Mactonis. Um, I do know that Mac was quite a fan of Whitley, and he said the only book he'd ever written, and he said that the only book he'd ever read twice was Majestic, Whitley's fiction book about Roswell. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.